I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The following podcast may contain some strong language and adult themes. If you've got young children around, maybe save it until they've gone to bed. If you really don't like bad words, this pod probably isn't for you. Welcome to the Making Up the Numbers podcast. The Making Up the Numbers podcast is sponsored by Hope Technology, JTEC Suspension, Revolution Bike Park, Ride Southern Spain, Schwalb, and the world's finest independent mountain bike magazine, Single Track. Previously on the Making Up the Numbers podcast. And then then I came back like when the surgeon told me that I was good, but I wasn't really, I was like still in pain. And then I fall with him, I hit a hole and I just bent my arm. Like it bent all the metal plate. Oh, I remember um, that. Yes, yeah, so I had like this bent arm. <laughs> and then I raced Leo Gang anyway, because I just couldn't believe it that it was that bad. So I was like, this is not possible. My arm's like broken. <laughs> And I'm racing in Leo Gang and I was just like telling myself that it's okay, but it wasn't. I, I still qualified, so I was like, that was good. I had a lot of fun in there. Um, also, I had a lot of crashes as well. <laughs> I mean, it was hard to stay upright. Yeah. Um, I remember coming down and, and uh, watching Lewick just have a massive one. And I was like, wow, he's pushing way hard. The next run, I was in the same corner on my back, just sliding. <laughs> hey, ketamine went on a fucking crazy trip left my body and like was in Mars walking around on space dust and doctor shoving a finger up my ass (laughs) it was just the most crazy and bizarre experience um and like probably like the highlight of that that you know from five to ten o'clock with all the scans and having checked over was was actually when I don't know it doesn't sound pleasant but when the doctor put his finger up my ass and asked me to clench and I was able to clench and feel it like that gave me 
he was like, oh, that's a great sign. And I was like, oh, this is, <laughs> this is like, this is a lot of hope. And like, obviously, because I was paralyzed and like, I think that's a indicator for them to know whether, well, know how bad the damage is, whether you can um, like squeeze your sphincter and feel that. So that like, you know, obviously being on ketamine and fucking having that done to me, I was still like, out of this world and didn't know what was going on but like for me that was like a great indicator of like when he said that like I was you know there was potential there to regain feeling in my legs so some people pay for that kind of weekend bro (laughs) 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 I definitely didn't Hello and welcome to Season 5, Episode 2 of the podcast. The Downhill World Cup season is just around the corner now and we've got another packed show to get you in the mood. Kicking things off, ESO recently announced some amendments to the changes they previously issued to the World Cup format for 2023 and I'll be chatting those through with Jack and Emmy. Then we'll be joined by the Kiwi legend Eddie Masters for a chat about his journey to World Cup racing and balancing racing downhill and enduro at the same time. So let's get going. Jack... Another Portuguese national, but you couldn't quite take the win this time around. No, not this time, mate. We uh, we nipped back over there. I needed to go and pick my truck up and it aligned nicely with, with the fourth round of their series. So, yeah, it was good. It was nice. It's the first time I've just been away with the mechanic on my own. So it was just an opportunity to kind of run through my process as we're getting closer to, to the big races. Um, the track was pretty simple, but like crazy fast like insane in spots where certainly the lower section you could really hurt yourself. Um, so I, I kind of rode as I wanted to. I didn't take any huge risks. Um, I, I, I kind of had to level up more for my race run than I wanted to um, just because after qualifying, I kind of had a look at the times and I was like, shit, if I don't put my finger out here, I'm going to get smoked by quite a lot of people. So um, yeah, I kind of pushed harder than I kind of wanted to in my race run. I was, I was happy with it for the day. Um, but I mean, fair play to Gonzalo. Gonzalo has won two of them now and he had a really good result in Taruka. And uh, I think he's consistently beat me at the three we've done together by the same amount of time. He's just won Portuguese national champs yesterday from yeah. from Borges races in Jura. On a, <clears throat> I raced that track last year and it's so peddly. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how Gonzalo goes this year. If he carries on the form he's got. Um, yeah, I think he's going to go well. So, yeah, I was happy and uh, just ready to go now, really. Cool. That was round four of the Portuguese Nationals. Is that is that it for the season? Are they done? They have one more, um, which I think is the first weekend in June. I might be wrong, but it's before Lenzide. I'm not doing that one. I've got no reason to travel back out there now. And uh, to be honest, I've run out of days. We get, we get our 90 days, don't we, out of 180. And uh, I'm on 89 when I get back from the Mega Avalanche on the 10th of July. So I can't do another trip anyway over what's planned. So, um, so yeah, just uh, we leave here on the 5th of June, which is two weeks today for the first World Cup. So, yeah, just scheduled training now and uh, just, just want to get at it like everybody else. It's been a long wait. Never thought about that, actually, Brexit being a right pain in the arse for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you if you manage it all right, it's not too bad. Like from July, I'm for the rest of the year, I'm fine because we've got a bit of a break and then stuff in North America. And but I spend so much time in Portugal in those early months, it's just eaten into my days. So um yeah, quite um what's the word? Um inconsiderate of Sarah to arrange a, 
holiday in January to Europe as well. So that took another eight <laughs> days. How dare she? <laughs> eight days. Come on. She doesn't listen to the pod, but she'll probably have heard that through that doorway. So I might have to put a helmet on. But yeah, so um, maxed out on days, so I couldn't go back if I wanted to. So, so are you happy with where you're at for you in the team coming into the season? Yeah, I mean, personally, very happy. Um, first year going in, in well, if we exclude 2020, first year since 2019, going into a season feeling 100% fitness and happy with my riding. Um, so, yeah, very, very excited and just kind of just keen to just enjoy it and let it happen. There's so many good riders now getting into that top 60 is like, is going to be so tough. So, yeah, excited to go do my best. And if I get into some semifinals, then I'll be, I'll be well happy. If I get into any finals, I'll be absolutely over the fucking moon. Um, I think anyone getting in that top 30 now is, uh, you know, is, is going to yeah. have, have ridden their legs off. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm real happy with myself and the bike and everything's good timing and testing. So just keen to get going. Dan's third year uni. Uh, he's wrapping up his dissertation. I think he actually handed it in on Friday, which is why he wasn't at Dovey with me training. Um, so we've given him some time this year to just get that boxed off and sorted. Obviously, I went through uni myself, so I know how important that is. So we've not kind of put excess pressure on him. He's done a few preseason races and he's he's in good shape. I know he's riding well um, and he's fit and healthy and really good shape after obviously being injured last year. So yeah, he's going to be absolutely frothing to get at it after being busy at uni. So yeah. he's going to be good. And uh, I know in our junior is he's one of them for the juniors. They have good weeks, they have bad weeks. And on his good weeks, he's pushing me and Dan on the splits, which we haven't had from a junior since Dan. So um, if he can turn it on and have a good week, he'll he'll do well. It's how he deals with it when he's up against it that we'll have to see. Excellent. Well, if you could choose anyone on the planet to talk to about the amendments to World Cup level racing, You'd probably ask the woman who was at the centre of the negotiating table with the SO, Emily Siegenthaler. What a job you've done. Are the, are the riders happy, Emmy? Yeah, I mean, happy, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if they'll ever be happy. But No, no I'm just kidding. Um, for sure happier than um, before when the announce- announcements were done and then nobody knew about like the points. And it was a little bit of... Yeah, a disappointment that the riders weren't consulted, but I guess now that's all like behind us because we could work with, with Rory Cunningham, which is like the technical delegate for ESO and USCI and the races now. Yeah. So I guess that was a good, that was a good point. And, um, the fact that I didn't like, I did some negotiation, but I think the fact that I tried to like really structure the association in a sense of, having like a proper association that registered under law and that we have now a president and all this type of structure that ESO demanded. And now Aaron Gwen is our president and he, he did most of the negotiation with Rarit. And I mean, I'm not sure exactly why, but the, the vibe just flow better between these two. Yeah. And that might have to be maybe with my connection to my team or I don't know, but like, it was really good to see that um, Aaron could do really good communication with ESO and that um, the structure of the association was taken seriously and that we can work out something that worked for, um, for basically almost both parties. Cool. So let's work through them. 
So there's three kind of major changes. The first one is that semi-finals are now worth fewer points than, than they were going to be. Um, an elite men win was previously worth 200 points, just 50 less than finals. Now this win will be worth 100 points. And in elite women, it's been reduced from 150 to 100. What that means is the emphasis is is back on winning finals. Was was Do you know if that one was a hard one to negotiate? No, the points, so the points we discussed with Rory already, but it was more details than on protection that we discussed with Aaron because it's this way, like it was way harder to negotiate protection yeah. because there was the question of no protection as well. Yeah. Which was something riders considered, but I don't think they're quite ready to go that, that, that road yet. But the points, like Rory knew there was a problem with the points because then it could be like someone would just like win every semifinal, but then be like tense every final and still win the overall. So um that wouldn't be that wouldn't be cool to see. No. So I know points were like quite easy thing to do. You're you're representing the riders, but you're in the middle of it all. So you have to kind of respect ESO's position too. Are there any riders out there? I'm not expecting you to name them if there are, but who who are still <laughs> really strongly opposed to semifinals? Um yeah semifinals was hard. We tried to negotiate to do one year with the current schedule. Yeah. But I guess ESO is under certain pressure of putting some change out there. And it didn't seem like they wanted to wait a year and they wanted results straight away. And also for the length of the show, because they want to show like a longer run, they had to kind of like reduce the numbers. So the semifinal yeah. were kind of their solutions for not throwing like three quarters of the riders out and just take a final with 30 and 10, which I respect. Yeah. Like, but schedule wise, it's tricky. And uh, the riders were first very against it, but then kind of like after many discussions and also maybe time, we're like, okay, we're going to try it. Yeah. And if it's like really, really like bad logistically, like we could have another discussion maybe after this year for pros and cons, but they're like, okay, we're going to, if you say, you guys say that solution, we're going to try it. So I've, I found that very, very good from the riders that they kept an open mind, but for sure it's not making their life easier. There's another slight amendment too, in that the points for winning finals are back to being equal for men and women. Women had been reduced down to 200, I believe. Was, was that something you asked for? There was like, there's the riders association, which has, a number of men and number of women and obviously the number of women is is smaller but we also talk a lot within like the top 20 of the girls and um we are trying to push for maybe in the future more girls in quality and more girls in finals because now um that's something we we couldn't quite get an answer on or because there's a lot going on but maybe that's something we're trying to like push for because yeah. there's so many juniors coming up and like I made a list of all the names and we're all like, wow, <laughs> it's going to be hard to even like make top 15, you know? Yeah. So um, the points is just like someone like Miriam or Cam were like, okay, like why do the women have less points? Like, especially for them, the quality points were the same men and women and on the slightly difference, I think 180, but then the ratio between the importance of qualifying semi-final and final were not quite the same between men and women. Yeah. 
So for women, the qualifying will be a bit more important than semis in comparison to finals. And we just wanted to make it like equal, not a sense of equality, but just like fairness that the semi-final is not a little bit more important statistically um, to the women, to the men. It was just a question of math, basically. Yeah. So the second thing is protected rider status. So initially, the top five men and top three women from 2022 were protected for every semi and final in 2023. There was talk of the top five men being reduced to three, but either way, this gave those riders a a pretty huge advantage. And if you listen to the last episode of the pod, Andreas Kolb, who, who would have been one of those five, even said he didn't think it was fair. So it's been changed. Now the top three in each category are protected and the best ranked riders in 2023 will be added until a total of 10 men and five women are reached. For round one, that means the top 10, top five from last season. That's a lot fairer, I think. Obviously a lot rests on the first two rounds, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, um, that was that was tough. Like, I think the riders and everyone in the association wanted more protection. But for you, so they were like kind of afraid that they're going to end up like a show of 40 riders instead of 30 if something happens, you know, weather-wise and stuff. And they yeah. couldn't risk that to have like many more riders. And then it adds like, I don't know, 20, 25, 30 minutes of on the show. Yeah. And that's something they didn't want to risk, even though statistically it never really happens. I think it's like on the, on the whole season, there may be like two riders, two men's pro race that are protected and don't make it or maybe less than one for the women. So that's like a really low number, but I get their, their issues. And I think we try to push it to the maximum, but obviously there was also like quite like we voted in the association between having a protection highest possible or no protection. And it was really close. Right. So maybe in the future, maybe no protection. Um, that's something that we need to see, but obviously for ESO, they kind of won the drama. They also won the superstars on the start line. So one on, on the start gate. So that's like, yeah, I think we came to a good, to a good compromise. Yeah. And juniors will be top three protected for each category after the first round. The third, third thing was that time training is lo- no longer a mandatory part of the event. So probably won't happen which is a nightmare for everyone playing Fantasy League, if Fantasy League does even is allowed now. I saw that somewhere the other day. Somebody said they don't know if they'll be able to do Fantasy League, but that's a, a different matter. How big a miss would that be to the riders, Jack, not having a time training? Obviously, if you're in that top 60, or it might be different now when they do run it, but if you're in that group of riders and you get your time session, then, I mean, Lords was one of the places where those guys gained a huge advantage because there was such a, a long queue for the uplift because it didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> and then you get to the time session and all of a sudden there's only however many riders waiting to get on the lift. I think some riders did like three or four runs in that time training session, whereas we only did three runs all day. Yeah. Uh, so they, they got up to six runs, whereas everybody wasn't in it, didn't get any. So <clears throat> there's part of the time session is not just the timing, but they all, they, they, it's literally extra practice which I've always seen as slightly unfair in that if you're running 61st in the overall men, you will get an hour and a half less practice than the rider ranked 60th in the overall. You might be on the same number of points, but because they're 60 and you're 61st, you're going to get less practice at an event by the time you get to your qualifying run, which to me seems a little strange. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's always quite exciting 
for not just the riders, but the fans to see how fast everyone's going. I've personally always used it to gauge myself and see how I'm going towards the end of that first day of practice, whether I'm in the session or whether I'm not, because obviously you've done your GoPro runs and you can compare your GoPro time to their time practice times if you're not in the session. And if you're good, you're like, right, more or less in the morning. And if you're not good, you go, right, shit, back to the drawing board. Um, <laughs> I've got to find some time in the morning. So it is useful. Whereas now if it's not there, there'll be more, you know, people will time, but they'll time on their own GoPros and then keep their time secret. So I, I, I would imagine the main reason they've took the rule out is because for when they combine Enduro into the, the schedule, when are they going to have time to run time practice? Like it's going to be so busy at the event that they're probably thinking, well, hang on. If we need to sacrifice that session, we need to be actually allowed to sacrifice the session. So I think, I think that's why they've potentially made it flexible so that if they can't fit it in, they can just go, right, that's not happening. Um, so yeah, let's come on to schedule because that's, that's what I want to talk about next. So, so am I right in thinking that, I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen a schedule for, for Lens or Hyde yet. Day one, and I'm not going to say whether it's Wednesday or Thursday or whatever because it will change, but day one's track walk. Day two is practice. Day three is qualifying. Top 60 go through. Is it 60 plus protected or 60 including? Yes. 60 plus. Plus, plus. plus protected. Yeah, yeah you qualified. don't get pushed out. Right, okay. That would be and, extremely unfair. <laughs> and, then, and then day four in the morning, semi-final, the top 30 go through. And is that? Plus top thirty plus protected again. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, plus, plus. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, so the top thirty plus protected qualify, and then day four in the afternoon is the final. And I was going to ask, how has this affected practice time? Is that have you seen a schedule, Emmy? Yeah. Um, so there's still so it's it's fairly late <laughs> to put it that way, but um, the schedule is not definite because. Um, we've been trying to, especially race day, um, change a couple of stuff and practice. Um, there's not less practice than usual. Right. Let's put it that way. Um, I would say there's enough practice. Right. But on the race day, there's a bit of difference between men and women. And it was never a difference of practice times between men and women. And because there's so less women on track there was less practice and there was not enough practice for race day so um especially now um with the rule book we did some research and usually there's one hour mandatory one hour of practice yeah. on race day so that wasn't the case <laughs> so <laughs> that was like a little bit of a push so we're trying to change that because you need the time to do at least two runs but I'm fairly confident that um, it's going to be the case. How it's going to be solved, I'm not sure if it's going to be separate, if it's going to be all together, because at the test event, they did the practice all together. And the guys were like, didn't really know this. So, you know, like right. people are going to practice at different times depending on their race runs, you know. So um, with that amount of people, mostly it won't be like a problem. So that's going to be still like, probably defined in the next days hopefully weeks i'm not sure but yeah can't be weeks we've got a world cup in two weeks <laughs> <laughs> i know it's 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 quite late but i need to know when to set up if it's good <laughs> it doesn't matter um yeah so they want track walk you're right but i think the juniors are probably practicing that day too because yeah. they have the race on friday 
So yeah. you know, practice the first day too. So that's yeah, that's tricky. Junior race, um, three race runs for elites, and then the enduro somewhere. Yeah. So <laughs> it's not easy for them to fit everything. That was what I was going to come on to. So so Leah Gang will be the first m- of the multidiscipline festivals of cycling. At Baller at the weekend, someone who might know about these things suggested that the, the, the final stage of the Enduro World Cup was going to be on the downhill track. So it can be filmed and that would run on kind of Friday afternoon. Do you know if that's the case? And if so, how will that affect the practice is that is that what jack was talking about before that's the time training session no i've no details on that and i wouldn't reveal them but i don't have i don't i've heard that as well yeah and that will make sense in the sense that the only way they're gonna have to like have live coverage of the enduro yeah but talking to enduro riders i don't know if they're really keen on the idea <laughs> depending, <laughs> depending on the bottom section of leo gang after all our practice or the downhill practice and it will rain oh, on, a small, on a smaller bike so yeah but i'm not sure we're gonna fit it in so yeah I've, it's completely unknown to me as well i mean i have nothing to do in enduro but like i've heard as well that they're gonna run it and film it but i, I have no idea when because Friday afternoon you can't do it because it's like XCC. Yeah, <laughs> here's the thought process, right? I I was always under the impression that Enduro was advertised that <clears throat> you had the Enduro World Cup or whatever it used to be called EWS, and the magic of it was that these guys were riding this. Anyone could ride the same track as Richie and Jesse and Martin and those guys. Now I've got every confidence in the top enduro riders riding that bottom section of leo gang no problem they'll 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 boss it however as we move further down the pack (laughs) that that ain't gonna work like i've ridden that track in the wet and it's fucking lethal on a downhill bike Mm. so are they gonna only use that stage for top 30 men and top I don't know how many Enduro World Cup women are in that live feed, but are they going to split it off and have like an elite stage and only have certain riders doing it? Because they can't open that stage up to the whole of the Enduro circuit because it wouldn't work. How many people are at an an Enduro World Cup? Unless it's changed since I used to do EWSs, it's a lot of riders. And will they I don't know if it's changed now. I'm not, I'm, I'm speculating there. It's all hypothetical that. Is that enough to trash the downhill track, do you reckon? Nah. <laughs> nah, because it wouldn't be on our lines probably anyway. But I think they would probably go around the big gaps as well because usually they don't yeah. like yeah, have big gaps no in it. That big one. And they have also, I think, smaller time gaps between each other, if I remember correctly. Maybe not the top top riders, but sometimes they have had 30 seconds on a track like that, on an enduro bike. Yeah, it's usually 30. Yeah, but I think maybe for the... Um, Yes, because like it could be more top, top, top. It might be more if they want to show more as well. I think it would work, work really well if they were just showing the top riders through there. <clears throat> but if they opened it That's up. That's maybe because right. I don't even know when going to do practice on it. They probably won't practice it. Maybe they'll chuck them in with us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's fair. It's a, it's like an insane challenge for them to put everything in there. Like, yeah. fair fox to it's them. crazy. Can you send riders down that track without any practice? Yeah, blind racing. 
That's the principle of enduro. (laughs) I understand that, but like, you know. Ed Master will love it. Ask him. (laughs) Yeah, Eddie would be all over it. He'll have have ridden it all week on the downhill bike. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love Is Eddie going to do both events? We'll ask him that. Probably. Uh, He might. He might. He's crazy. He might. (laughs) You've got to have done two runs, like you said. You've got to have done so many runs to be able to race. In a, in a downhill yeah yeah so is it not if you're sending people down that course to race is it all right yeah. to send them down blind it's almost like a direct contradiction isn't it only yeah. you race run at the world because you only done one run but here's your enduro bike go and have a go <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's was your helmet quite light yeah your helmet's quite light yeah yeah you get in those woods yeah <laughs> Any body armor, just some small knee pads, brilliant. Short sleeve <laughs> t-shirt, yeah, get in there. Go on. Backpack. <laughs> it could be absolute carnage. It, yeah, you know, it could it be. Could be mm. it, it could be riders, you know, three or four riders all in one section. Oh, like yeah. Keystone yeah, Cops it'll, it'll type. It would be great thing. viewing. Yeah. And that's what they're going for, so... I think um, we should probably give a big shout out to Rory and the team at ESO though for being so open to negotiating on the, those points because they could have dug the heels in, couldn't they? And they could have just made it really awkward. But from what you're saying, Emmy, they've, they've been pretty flexible. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it was it was hard for us at being honest. Like it was hard to like establish a connection because I think maybe also on us, like, we're kind of like also vindictive a little bit and a bit like a too negative position on summies and like um, not being open-minded enough. And, and then after, after Christmas, it kind of like opened up everybody like relaxed and we could like, obviously I think Ruri knew that the points at the protection and thing didn't work. So maybe also that's why. Yeah. And we kind of continue to like do a bit of the same that we did Last year with like um, a chat about the track feedback and stuff, I think Jackie will be on it as well as a team manager. Try to put like almost one representative of almost every team in there. Yeah. Um, It will be quite a lot of people, but I think it will be very valuable for Ruri as well to have like like feedback, live feedback on how the track is evolving and how the safety issues we could have. So no, it's looking good. I mean, everybody's very excited to start and see what – what's working, what's not, and yeah, just try it out. We've had the Nova Mesto XC World Cup with ESO already. I've only had a brief glimpse of the highlights, but the course markings seemed to work well. The camera work looked great. The commentary was okay. It's all starting to come together, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I watched Nova Mesto and... Um... Of course, uh, they have their expert. Like Bart Prentice is the same expert as before, so it is not a big change. Yeah. And Rick is from ESO, so the voice is also familiar. And Cedric had a little bit of a, a lo- he came over, I think, to commentate as well, a little bit of the cross country. So, yeah, it wasn't bad. It wasn't Rob Warner, but it wasn't it wasn't bad. So yeah, we'll see. I think it's gonna be it's gonna be cool. So looking back at the races we've had already, Fort William National, it was a Brit 1-2-3 in the men's with Laurie Greenland taking the win with a new course record of 4.25.6. Matt Walker came in second, four seconds back with Charlie Hatton 0.5 behind him. That's a big margin for Laurie there, isn't it, Jack? Yeah, it certainly is, mate. He's on a mission this year and you can see that. I mean, you know, it was clear that Laurie was wanting to put down a heater there and 
be rolling on some confidence into the World Cups and into World Champs later in the year. And, you know, some of the other big riders, you know, maybe were holding their cards a bit closer to their chest. Obviously, <clears throat> Jordan, who won qualifying, had a puncture and Loic had a puncture, so we didn't get to see what, what they were wanting to put down. Um, but yeah, it certainly looks like Laurie is not to be messed with this year and it would be really exciting to see him put a big season together. Yeah. As you say, behind the Brits, it was Piron, Brosnan, Vergier, Shaw, Coulange, Kolb and Duprella. Fastest qualifier, Jordan Williams, you just mentioned him there. I was chatting to him at Bala. He flatted on the on the boardwalk, you know, the bit between the two boardwalks where there's that little um, that little banking that you guys put your front wheel on. Right at the top. Yeah, right at the wall right there. Before he even got to the rock garden. Yeah, he smashed his front wheel, I think it was his front, into the into that ledge of the of the wall, yeah. little mini wall mm-hmm. ride. And and um I think he said he did the rim. Jesus. He hit it that hard. So yeah, we didn't get to see his first split even, but not a good race for him and Loic, um, who also flattered. But no no massive surprises really. Good result for Henry Kerr in eleventh. Yeah, Henry's a really good rider and finished the season strong last year with that Valdesol performance. So mm. it's going to yeah. be interesting to see what he can do on that new team, on that new bike. Um, he's, he's one of them, these juniors, they, st- they start riding so young now that in my head, Henry's older than he actually is. He's, I don't know mm-hmm. if you know how old Henry is. He's 21, 22? No, he's got to be older than that because he's just, he, told, he said he'd just done a five year master's degree, I think. So he's got to yeah. be 23. He's sick. Similar age to Matt Walker. Wasn't he on the podium the year after at Worlds, the year after Matt Walker? Because he got bronze, didn't he? Didn't he, he get was bronze? a junior in 2017 for sure because he was he was at that World Champs and yeah, maybe in the first year that year. Yeah, and then I think the year mm-hmm. after he got a podium. In 2018 then. So, he's, so yeah, he's, he's a year younger than Matt. So he's, my point is he's got a long time left. Um, when we think that Piron only really started to flourish and he's kind of, yeah. is he around 24? I think that might be wrong there, but... Yeah, you could certainly be going places. Barring injury, the, the British team for Worlds looks very strong. If you add Bernard Kerr, Danny Hart and Jordan Williams to that top three, that only leaves one spot remaining. Yeah, it's it's, it's frightening this year. And it's, uh, <laughs> I was talking to somebody about it earlier today, actually. It's, I would not want to be picking that team this year. Well, the, those top six kind of pick themselves. It's just that last spot. Vickers always says that. He always says it's pretty much picks itself and then sometimes there's a bit of ambiguity over who you take and then who your reserves are. But I think it largely sorts itself out, especially for a track like Fort William. It's, uh, you're going to, you know, if there is any kind of indecision between two riders, it's such a specialist track. One rider might have a better record there than another or. Yeah. So in the women's, it was Nina Hoffman who we heard from at the back end of the last show after taking the win from Cammy in, in second and, and Monica Rasnick in third. How was Cammy feeling about it all afterwards? Um, I think she had like a pretty decent seeding. She was like also point something off Nina. She felt good in seeding. Um, and then she said, oh, she's trying to like open it up a little bit more. But then in final, she just tried too hard. Maybe I think within like the first split and Nina crashed in the first yeah. split or like, and Cami kind of like, I think won the first split or like, well, it was real close to winning the first split, which she wanted to do, but then she exploded midway. Right. She was like, she was, she was like, I was pushing too hard and I was breaking everywhere because they're going too fast into corners. So she didn't really find the flow in finals. So she said it felt horrible. <laughs> so that happened to me as well. Like sometimes you, 
you kind of find have to find a rhythm, especially. I don't know how you feel, Jack, about it, but as a woman, especially for me, like a small woman on this track, I had to like kind of like reserve my strengths a little bit until the woods and then to do a really good wood. And then the wood was gone and I could give everything to the end. But if I tried to like too hard until the deer gate, I was just like crashing the woods for sure. So yeah, it's, it's a hard track. It's a long track. So she, she will, she learned and she, they stayed the whole way after to do testing and try some stuff out on the bike. And she felt way better when she left. So Nina is strong on this track and we know it. So I think she was not far off, but way closer than last year for sure. So that was going to be the next thing. We're coming into world champs or we will be with Amory winning the last three world cups at Fort William and Nina winning the last three races there. It's unusual for streaks like that to go much further, isn't it? If, if you had to put your money on one of them winning worlds, who would you go for? Nina. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> nah. None of them, I'd say. None of them. Yeah, but you should pick one. Come on, play the game. <laughs> well, then I'll worry. <laughs> can be hiding behind the cupboard there. Yeah. No, she's not here, but I mean... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I think this is like a track that she hasn't been riding for very long and she's been yeah. doing so good on it already. In my defense there, I didn't uh, think Nina was going to win. I just answered George's question and picked one of the two. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, but I mean, there's a fair chance. <laughs> you shoot me through the laptop. There's a, there's a fair chance, but I'm, I'm, yeah. I just, I just won't come to have that jersey this year. That would be cool. So Danny Hart has won that national how many times and never won the World Cup there? It's funny, I was I was looking back at Fort William, I think I was chatting with my mechanic about it and we ended up on Roots and Rain doing a bit of doing a bit of looking at some of the races in the past. And I can't remember what year it was now, and maybe it was twenty fifteen. And Danny got beat by I think it was Gwyn by like naught point something. Um mm. and he then was close again another time. They've even been the year after. And it, as you say, he's won the national there so many times. It would be so nice just to see him come back all these years later and just go, bang. He's had a, like a nasty like skinny in bug or something like that. So he couldn't race the national. So he does the national every year, does really well, and then can't quite follow it through for the World Cup. I just wonder if this Might year, some good yeah, not going to the national, just turning up for world champs, maybe that's the first race there and he might just be able to, to do what he's done at the national, you know? Maybe. I think I've said this before on the pod, but one thing I do feel about Fort William is it is a track for an absolute unit to win it. And no, no disrespect to Danny at all, but I think to compete with the strength and power of someone like Piron, and then if he has an issue... Someone like Bruni, I don't know. But then again, I'm contradicting myself because we've just seen what Laurie's Laurie. Hmm. So I'm, I'm contradicting myself. So, yeah, who knows? I take it back. <laughs> Sorry, Danny. <laughs> Crankworks, Cairns, Emmy, and your girl Jenna Hastings took the win in the downhill with Louise Ferguson in second and Ellie Smith in third. She she, she looked good doing it too. I think I, I just looked quickly and the time, I think, was within 15% of McCann who won the men's, which is a good guide yeah i mean she i'm really stoked that she she got second and third a couple of times and she couldn't quite back her her first elite win which was when she was still a junior you know in rotura but that was a home track so i think she really wanted it and yeah she she has a big job this season <laughs> like a 
like I said to you before the podcast, like we put a list of yeah. all the women that are like competing for even qualifying spots. Like yeah. it's it's insane. Like for Jenna to even go through qualifying will be a challenge, but going to a final this year will be like it will be a victory. So for every like we see with Phoebe, like Phoebe was quite dominating Fort William usually. And yeah. she got fifth at the BDS, but it's nine seconds. So you're not sure, like, she probably will go to a finals if she does a good run. But then, I don't know, like, some of the tracks might suit Jenna best. But, yeah, it, it will be it will be hard for every junior, upcoming junior this year. So hopefully, yeah, we, we can get some one, one or two very, very good rounds to, to keep her motivation going. Excellent. And in the men's, it was the aforementioned Sick Mick taking the win from Jackson through with Tohoto Ariki Penn in third and Blanky in fourth. Bloody amazing that Sick Mick's still winning downhill races at 39 years of age, isn't it, Jack? That must give you some inspiration. Especially when he said he was retiring. I know. <laughs> I think he was on an Enduro bike as well. Yeah, he was. He was. Really? Mm. He loved the downhill forks on it, though, did he? He loves no, putting, he loves no. no I don't think he did. Because, I mean, Cairns is the sprint at the end. Is the There's a lot above it, though. That rock yeah. garden's filthy and yeah, it's, mm. uh, it's still a tough track. But, but yeah, I mean, things with Mick is he just, he absolutely loves it. And I think when he retired, I remember chatting with him and he, he said he didn't really know what he was going to be doing when he, when he, when he retired from the World Cups. And next minute, he, he's grabbed this thing that he's doing with Yeti and Shimano and, and he's... He's riding those bikes with the Fox suspension and with that team. And I think he's uh, he's just really enjoying it, I think. So, yeah. Cool. He's, he's not going anywhere in a hurry, is he? Well, he is. <laughs> yeah, it's good to see him on, on form. Right, that's all we've got time for in part one. We'll be back with Eddie Masters after these messages. Yo guys, I'm Charlie Hatton here from Continental After Race Team. We've just been out here for a week in Ride Southern Spain. Been absolutely sick. Five days of riding on dusty, dry trails. The facilities here are absolutely mega. Like the villa is really nice. Nice pool, nice uh, workshop area, bike wash facilities. So yeah, it's got everything you need really. And pretty sad, this is my last day actually. <laughs> it was mega. Yeah, I'll definitely be back. You can ride till your arms fall off, I think. <laughs> Choose single track. Choose print. Choose digital. Choose an independent mountain bike magazine. Choose mountain bike culture. Choose adventure and mishap. Choose great stories and glorious photography. Choose ad-free access to our website. Choose time out with a mug of tea. Choose an annual subscription. Choose a monthly subscription. Choose discounts in our shop on a range of ethical products. Choose bobble hats. Choose hip flasks. Choose gift subscriptions for your friends. Choose single track salvation for your arse. Choose a username. Choose a community. Choose to support independent publishing. Choose your future and our future. Choose single track. Making his Making Up the Numbers debut. I'm delighted to welcome the one and only Eddie Masters to the podcast. How are we doing, Eddie? I'm good, mate. George and uh, the rest of the team, thank you for having me. It's an honour. I've tuned into a few of your episodes and um, got to say, it's great content. And um, yeah, so stoked to be here. Excellent. Well, we're stoked to have you. You've just landed in Salzburg, I believe. Have you met little Vincent yet? Yep. I doubt he'll remember me, but um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, here on, um, I'm here on Uncle Judy's, just uh, catching up with my four-month-old nephew and um, yeah. staying with my, my big brother, Wynn. And um, planning to ride a bit of downhill for a few days 
to shake the cobwebs out because I haven't actually been on the downhill bike very much. And um, as you well know, we've got a World Cup coming up. So um, trying to get back into the swing of things. And today we rode Leo Gang, but it rained all day. And it was, it was fun, but um, it should be get it. Hopefully it'll get better. <laughs> How was that bottom section? To be honest, it was um, it was the best I've ever ridden it because <laughs> I've only ever I've only re- ever really ever ridden it in diabolical conditions. Yeah, and um, completely manageable. But even with only three of us riding it in the rain, it started um, to show its true colours. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jack laughs. He knows what I mean. Yeah. So, yeah. with Win as a dad, how are you going to make sure that you're cool, Uncle Eddie? <laughs> uh Funkle Eddie, I'll be the Funkle. Oh, Funkle Eddie, yeah, I like that. That's cool. I'll probably let him do things that my, his mum and dad don't <laughs> let him do. <laughs> that I can believe. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I think I think that's the key to being a um a Funkle. <laughs> yeah. So before we get into it, there was something I, I discovered when I was re- researching the episode with Win, and that was your listing on uh, ExploreCelebr.com. Are you aware of this? Did you hear that? Yeah, I actually, um, I listened to the episode. I was cracking up. I was actually working under a house. Right. Um, and I was just lying in the dust, just pissing myself. <laughs> so for, I'll read it again for anyone who missed that episode. Um, it is available online for anyone to go and have a look at on ExploreCeleb.com. Eddie Masters is a well-regarded name in the world of racing. Eddie is a licensed enduro and downhill racer from the beautiful country of New Zealand. You might also recognise him as the brother of Windmasters. Mostly the young man is admired for doing stunts and tricks wearing flip-flops, which he mainly performs on his bike, Pivot Firebird. Did you write that, Eddie? <laughs> Where I mean, have you got that from? It's with the invention of AI and stuff, that's got to be chat GPT or, you know. Like. Do you think they, they tested chat, chat GPT by writing stuff like that? Yeah. I mean, um, it's got to be. That's the stuff that it would only a robot would be able to <laughs> that kind of game. If it was me, I would have mentioned like strapping good looks and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. So I yeah. think we, we all know the backstory of how you, Win, and Blanky got into bikes. And so I wanted to start with 2012. Your first year racing World Cups, four races, and your results were DNF, DNQ, DNQ, DNF. Do you ever think about how life might be different if it had gone badly? Uh, well, it can't get much worse than that, can it? <laughs> <laughs> that was what I was meaning. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, it was. A Where funny did it all year. go right? <laughs> uh, it didn't really go right. <laughs> tell tell us about it. <laughs> to be honest, like to flip that que- your initial question, I think it would have changed if it had gone right yeah. that first year. Um, but yeah, I think. First of all, I wasn't very good at racing mountain bikes, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I was far far too fixated with the more materialistic type things that came along with riding, like having, I remember I I built up my bike and I was actually riding a pivot that year. And um, I built it up with the flashiest stuff, the lightest wheels, like, Basically, everything you shouldn't do when you're a privateer. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And completely disregarded things like having good tires, 
um, like knowing your setup. Like I wouldn't ever, I wouldn't, wouldn't have even known my t- tire pressures or what a pressure gauge was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Didn't know suspension settings or anything. Um, I was on actually on flat pedals, <laughs> <laughs> and. Yeah, I just I had my name on the back of my jersey and I thought I looked like a World Cup racer, but I couldn't have been further from it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, as the results showed, um, it didn't really pan out the way I had been visualising my first season on the World Cups to go. <laughs> You're one of the few people who I can remember my first meeting with on the circuit. You probably won't remember this, but... You were in Monsenan Car Park with Jesse Bear and whoever else you were traveling with. Yeah, and I yeah. got introduced to you because I knew I know Jesse through my mate Baron. And you guys were just living like fucking animals and having <laughs> the best time. And yeah, you always had flip-flops on. And you as I said, you're one of the few people I can remember meeting for the first time because it was just like just such a like a Kiwi Aussie like set up your yeah. so was it all another level to you, the the racing? What was your speed like when you were riding, or was it just that the bike <laughs> the bike didn't last very long? <laughs> Put it this way, I reckon I probably would have still been DNFing if the track was in splits. <laughs> 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 yeah, like um, there was there was flashes of brilliance amongst the mud, <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, you know, like having speed is one thing, but being able to control it is actually the skill. Yeah. Um, so I should write that but, down. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, so, like, you don't get to go and race World Cups by being a slow rider, but like, you've got to make it to the bottom and you've got to have all the equipment and stuff and all your ducks in a line, you know, with, yeah, equipment, physical and mental. And, um, I didn't really have any of those, but like, (laughs) (laughs) but it, it showed me at least I was like aware enough. And, um, I was also coming in where I knew a lot of the riders because a lot of them were like, would come to New Zealand. Like, so I was friends with like Ratboy and Sambo, Sambo. And then all the Kiwis were like kind of on a bit of a rise. Then Brooke was killing it. Um, had a lot of friends that were were kind of on the up in the, downhill world and i was quite embarrassed because um you know i i i thought i had kind of big shoes to fill um so it kind of like fired me up to go and figure it out um which like that's why i said i think if it had gone well then it might have turned out completely different um so the best thing was to like make a shitload of fundamental errors and then go and rebuild from the ground up rather than like trying to do you think it's gone now that ability for someone to come over try and race world cups fail but then still give it another go um yes and no i think um like if you're a young rider now it's pretty hard not to be disillusioned when you don't have the speed that like jackson goldstone and jordan do at the same age but like i try and like tell people like they've got speed that's well beyond their years um but there's nothing to say that like in four years time if you keep um keep plugging away at it you can't get to that level it's just like right now you're at a different level but i think to get someone to keep coming back and plugging away for those four years is a bit harder because it like seems like it's a bit further out of reach without having like team support and stuff 
But then on the other side, you've got, you know, like you can have a world class race bike that has completely stock products. Um, so there's no equipment and stuff that is holding you back. It's all like very within reach. Even on like a shop deal, you could get, you know, you could go buy a V10 and it's going to be a great bike or a Pivot Phoenix. <laughs> um, always working always yeah, working mate, you know you know yeah yeah but like you can go and you can go and buy a um a bike off the shop floor or, or through your local dealer or something and um if you have like i said all those fundamental aspects then there, there's nothing to say that you can't just like roll straight in and um turn it up cool. yeah but nice. it's like it is it is tough i think I think the hardest thing for young guys coming in now would be like uh, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause they're like, you come in and this kind of like leads into like the next year of my racing in 2013, <laughs> yeah. where my soul, I had one goal, which was like, and I was, cause I was like, I'd finished uni and I was like, kind of, I'd never really planned on being a pro racer. So I was like looking to kind of start the next chapter in my life but I wanted to tick one goal and that was to qualify to World Cup it was like a bucket list thing I wanted to do but then when I put in all the work and stuff I qualified at the first World Cup that year and then um, I'd planned on only racing like five and um, I qualified at all of them so I just kept going and it kind of just snowballed the rest of the season but yeah so like I was I, t- I ticked off the, that year my sole goal was to qualify and then you know so like your goals were going in like incremental increases so the next year you were like okay like i think i could be like maybe a top 40 guy and um you know you're just getting closer and closer to the goalpost but the goalpost like moves as well yeah sure. touching on that what you just started talking about there in 2013 you came out firing uh 41st at round one in fort william 26th round two of Aldersol. you mentioned that obviously things didn't go well in 2012 and the fact they didn't fires you up to get ready for 2013. What did you do in the off season to kind of what were the training things you did and how did you approach it? Uh, what was your 10 year memory? <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. Pretty good. Um, first of all, I went and got a bike that I like knew wasn't going to break. And I actually rode a Kiwi bike, a Zero, which was like gearbox, yeah. Um, yeah. rearward axle path. I built it up on like some really heavy wheels. Um, it was a tank. I think it weighed like 45 pounds. But I did the whole season on one set of wheels um, with absolutely no dents because I was real, because I kept kept blowing up wheels on my, the year before. So I was just like, actually, I'm just going to get try this rearward axle path because like in, in theory, it makes sense that it's just going to like, <laughs> it's going to take all that impact <laughs> as the rear wheel moves away from like whatever it's hitting. And it did. It was mint. But I, did, I built it up with some like solid wheels. And then I was trail building for the whole summer, which was like a pretty physical job, but like I was doing that and then actually had a proper crack at training. So I think I just came in uh, and I was just like, actually, I'm just going to cruise around in a van with the boys. I'm not even going to get a race kit. I'm just going to like have a laugh. We were like, our whole thing is we were on holiday. So that's where we were like, that's where I had the leather jacket, um, the holiday shirts. Like, yeah, we were just... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so we were just like being ourselves, not trying to be, you know, this idea of what you thought you needed to be to be like a true professional. Because yeah. 
yeah, I remember the UCI um, commissaire came up to me in um, Fort William and told me I couldn't wear a holiday shirt, <laughs> like a party shirt. And he said, "It's look, mate, it's just not professional. And I was just like, well, I'm not a professional. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Which was just like so, which was so true at the time. Um, and he could like, what do you say back to that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think yeah. So like, everyone seems to, you know, it's all about figuring out what like works for you. Yeah, and I think in a sport that's like a pressure cooker, it's just about being able to find like whatever, whatever you can be can make you like comfortable. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like having a team truck. It's like, look at like Brayton when he was running the Hope setup and they like had a mechanic, a crafter and a tent. And, you know, it's like three people and you're running like a slick setup. It's small, but it's like, that's all you need. Yeah. And that, that can like bring out the best in people. And for us, it was like just doing it how we did it at home, which was like just dirtbagging yeah. <laughs> and having, and having fun. Cause like, when you're spending all this money and you're spending six months on the road away from home, you know, if the race doesn't go well, at least like you might have had fun for the other 23 hours of 56 minutes <laughs> of that day, you know, because yeah. like you've paid, you've worked so long and like, you know, you worked hard to get there and you're paying for it yourself. So you might as well like get some return with some good times on like your own dollar. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Hovering around the uh, clothing topic, um, that year you, you famously wore the T-shirt um, with "Looking for a Team" written on with it with a marker pen. I don't think anyone picked you up that year, but in 2014 you then went on to become the uh, the Bergamont Hairs. Were you team owner as well as team manager, or just team manager? Uh yeah, it's not like it was kind of different because I came in. It was like a factory team, so I was like. Yeah, I would have been like team owner, but like team manager, kind of like what, like how Bernie runs Pivot, you know, like we have a contract to provide a team to the company. Um, yeah. Yeah. I had those t shirts. <laughs> I had one for practice that said sponsor this 2014. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And then look, the other one for uh, the next day was looking for a team. Man. Um, yeah, and it, it actually worked. It was like, funnily, I thought on the back of that season that people would like kind of hit me up and you're kind of like, yeah, this is should be easy. And then just like crickets. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you know, you're like, it's like the, a meme of someone like, phone. yeah, just sitting by the phone. Just you're like, waiting. Yeah. The neighbor's phone rings and you pick up yours like, yeah, like, um, so yeah, it wasn't all rainbows and butterflies like I thought it was going to be. Um, so then I was just like, I was pretty fired up because I'd kind of like had a year that had exceeded my expectations. So I wasn't keen to like hang, throw in the towel just yet. So then I was just like, well, if, if I can't um, get a team, I'll just start my own one. Like this, this is like doable. Because um, even if I can just get enough like bikes and stuff, you can sell them and like at least kind of break even. Yeah. Um, so I just went through a pink bike or a like M, maybe I think it was pink bike article and that had all the downhill bikes from Eurobike that year. And I just like cold emailed every single company that didn't have a World Cup team. Yeah. 
and heard back and started having some comms with a few people. But um, I had a message that had gone into like my, you know how like Facebook Messenger has like message requests. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so the guy from Bergamont actually hit me up and asked if I was still looking for a team after the Leo gang thing. And then I'd already put together this proposal because they said they were looking to start or get some kind of foot in the door with World Cup racing. And I was like, oh, well, I'm actually starting a team. Um, <laughs> <laughs> rather than signing me, I'll sign myself and I'll give you the team as well. <laughs> and um, yeah, so we like went back and forth. Um, we were in a little bit of a battle with Ben Reid because um, he was in the running for the deal as well. But um, in true Kiwi classic, you just keep dropping it. The fuck out of him, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know what you're gonna say. <laughs> yeah, you just you just keep dropping that price. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and he's Irish, so you're going to win that battle. Um, yeah. But that year in 2013, 14, we had a whopping big budget of 30,000 euros and we raced the whole World Cup season with three riders and a mechanic, which was nice. pretty good going. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not bad at all. <laughs> yeah. So 2014, you had another solid season, a step forwards, establishing yourself really in the pack, three top 30 World Cup finishes. Did you enjoy, like the dual mode of rider and manager. Yeah, I was, I was loving it then because like I could just, I just kept saying like we had, I had Jack and Casey Brown. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah. So like we were getting some good results. I think that year in Ken's, I qualified fourth, Jack qualified 11th. He finished like 11th. Casey finished sixth. Like we were having some real good, res- you know, and just felt like that. You're like on that, yeah. riding that wave. Um, we're still going around like, had this shirty bus thing called the Black Pearl that was like that was my next question. <laughs> Just keep talking, you got it. <laughs> yeah, so we're like we're having a bit of a hard time in this bus because it was like it was so slow that like you're worried about actually getting to the races, not from break, <laughs> not, not from breaking down, but like um just it was it, it, like it topped out like <laughs> on the flat, it barely went 50 miles an hour. Um, but yeah, it was pretty funny. That was our team bus. And, and it, 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 I, I had this like, I bought it off eBay, went and picked it up as a thousand quid. Um, and then we bought, <laughs> <laughs> we bought all this like um, vinyl wrap and we wrapped it matte black. And I was like, yeah, this is looking sick. We're just going to plaster a big Bergamont logo over it. We drove it to Hamburg to pick up all the team parts and stuff, and the Germans are just like, no, they're, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're they're like mouths are just on the floor. Like, you want to brand this? <laughs> We're like, yeah, this is sick. <laughs> you should have paid then, more fucking money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they were like, they were like shocked that like, um, they were calling it the Krusty the Clown bus. <laughs> Um, so they, they they decided that they would prefer if we didn't put a big Bergamot logo on it. So then it just stayed black and it was it's, it was like full. Yeah, it's like a, it was a welfare bus. Um, and yeah, it was pretty crack up. Uh, what, what is, I think I know the answer to this question, but what is the best Black Pearl story you have for us? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh god I'm crying 
so it was at Mirabelle and um which was the World Cup finals that year. Yeah. Um and then we had one more race to go to um in half year, but we were gonna drive the Black Pearl back to Morzine, fly to Norway, and then we were all just gonna boost and someone was gonna take the Black Pearl and we, ne- we never saw it again, which was mint. <laughs> <laughs> that was the plan all along. Um and um one of the boys snapped the what did they do? They snapped the key in the ignition um, while the steering lock was on. So we couldn't get the key out. We could we could hotwire to start it. Like we took all the barrel out and we turned it into just a screwdriver start. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we couldn't get the steering lock undone to like drive. And um, our mechanic was an actual car mechanic. And he's like, oh, you can just break the steering lock. You just swing, you know, get a few of us and we'll just break through the steering lock, um, which supposedly you can do on heaps of cars. Um, as it turned out, you couldn't do it on that car. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one of the only models of Ford or whatever that have like a deadbolt um, steering lock. And so we all started wrenching on the steering wheel and just snapped the steering wheel off. <laughs> <laughs> and we're like fuck we're fully we're like way up in the mountains we've got a, about a four hour probably seven hour drive in the black pearl back to morzine and um and then so rupert was like oh i've seen it on the seen people on the internet you just get some vice grips or like you guys call them mole grips so we ran around the pits and got two two sets of mole grips and put them in opposite directions and just made a steering wheel out of the mole grips. fucking <laughs> plane. And drove it all the drove it all the way back to Morzine. Um, and it was like it was real funny. No one wanted to go on the um, go on the bus because they were like, "This is so dodgy." So, so me, me, Rupert, and Maylink um, went in the went in the bus, and we just, we wore full faces. <laughs> And it was mad. We were cru- we were cruising. Once we were down on the flat, we were just like, that was so good. And a good good story. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Brilliant. Eddie, wasn't there a story where um, with Casey at some point, the vehicle was on fire or something? Or they, she had to jump out at some point? Was it the same story or was it a different one? I can't remember. Oh, there was. She, she, used, to, <laughs> she used to tell me something about her jumping out of the van. <laughs> but I don't know how to- yeah, there was one when it was like heating up and it was going. Um, I'm pretty sure she jumped out because <laughs> it was I going. Was scared, gonna, it was going to catch on fire because it was like boiling in there. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think wasn't it like going to the desert up or somewhere? Yeah, it was like so, and and because it was so slow and it had the uh, mm. folding doors, you could <laughs> you could just out. you could literally jump out and like run. <laughs> it's just <laughs> running next to the van and be the same speed, yeah. basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She, yeah um, cool. She did. She did well to um, put up with all the shenanigans that went on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Her and Morgan were like probably the best female riders you could choose <laughs> yeah, to be around you guys for sure. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um. So let's move on to um, 2015. You jumped onto the Enduro World Series. So whose idea was it to like give uh, AWS a go? I liked the idea of it. So I'd always just try and do like, I think I did, would always do like one or two 
a year where they fit it in because I never had a trail bike until I signed with Bergamont. So like, um, I just always had a dirt jump bike and a downhill bike. Um, so once I got a trail bike, I kind of got into like pedaling and, um, riding them a bit more. So because I had one, I was like, oh, sick, we'll go do this new form of racing. Um, and they always went to like some pretty cool like venues. So just where, where like, we never really went out of our way to race enduro. It was just like, if it was nearby to where we were, um, we would jump on board. Like I think that year, 2015, Waxer raced um, Sam Wines on his downhill bike. <laughs> <laughs> How do you do? He had two stages, two top 10 stages on his downhill bike. Crazy, eh? Yeah. And he yeah was, you would just, probably do well if you get to the start in time. But Yeah. And that one was all good because it was a lot of lifts. Um, but, yeah, we just put a big cassette on it. <laughs> he raced on his downhill bike. Sick. Well, it looks like racing both series like did really like help you improve your result because like a World Cup result in downhill jumped like from to another level. Really, it was like seventeen to Lil Gang, eleven to Lenza High, sixteen Montanan, fifteen Val Sol. So, what do you think? Like, was it like also because of your enduro training or like diversify your riding that um and maybe the increased back time that helped you? Yeah, and I was just like uh, I was riding a lot of downhill. By then because i'd moved to queenstown at the end of um mm. like for that summer 2014 2015 and yeah so I was, I was doing a lot of laps and i think that does pay off especially like we were dialing in our bikes we're getting like a second year on the bikes um we had a guy who was helping us with our suspension um and we had a bit more support um by that point, we like had our bikes running for like what were pretty kind of like off the shelf bikes. We had them running like pretty good. We had a dude who was doing kind of like custom suspension for us, which now when I look back on it was actually like real dialed. Um, you know, we could like pick and choose between rear shocks. We're running Maxis. We had tram support. Um, everything was like pretty good. And yeah, like Kurt was, Kurt had come on board that year to mechanic. Mm. Um, yeah. And we had another guy. Um, so it was just like things were just kind of like growing a bit. And I think it just made the racing stuff easier. And you're just figuring it out. You know, you're like, mm-hmm. by that point, you're like third year into your apprenticeship on World Cups. So um, starting to make some sense of it all. Um, yeah. Where did you uh, end up in the overall in that year with all these good results? Do you remember? I still think I'd like I wasn't top 20. Um Top 30 guy then. Yeah, maybe like 28. But I mean, that was kind of like in two years, there's a big improvement. Like it was like also kind of like you said, like seeing the light um, in a tunnel maybe to yeah become like what you want to be, you know? Mm. But then like the thing is like when I look back on it, going into the next year, I like wanted to step it up to a whole nother level and then it kind of went backwards a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um 2016 yeah. Fort William World <laughs> Cup. It's one of those weekends that, as a fan, you never forget. Like Eddie Masters, <laughs> the Joker, seeded second behind G. <laughs> the journey was nearly complete. Tell us a bit about that weekend because it 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 ended in one. Well, it was either going to go one of two ways. You're either going to win it, <laughs> yeah. or it was it was going to be you know. Yeah, yeah. I was just. 
I guess like having a good weekend because I like seated second and felt like I hadn't like pushed. Um, I just had a smooth run down the track. So I was like, yeah, you know, like looking back, the novelty of hindsight, you're like, you should have just done that again and probably like walked away with like could have been like an easy podium. But, um, you know, the voice in the back of your head goes, you could probably win this. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and yeah, I just uh, went out all guns blazing with one thing on my mind <laughs> and famously didn't make it very far. Um, Was it the first corner? Uh, it's like the second, second. corner. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a bit about that sitting at the top then, how, how it must have felt to you, you know, like with all those guys. Yeah, that's the thing. And like people don't really understand the, um, I guess, the first time that you like qualify, let's say, single digits, because if you're used to qualifying like mid-pack, um, you get up there and there's, there's, there's a good 60 people there with, 30 riders in their mechanics plus like people leaving coming and going but um when you get down to like the pointy end of things um there's no one up there and no one's chatting and you know everyone's kind of most people who are up there have been doing it for (laughs) they've been they're used to it and they've got their systems in place and you know they're not interested in chatting to eddie masters (laughs) 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 um so things kind of it it is a bit of a like stark realization and you do feel like the weight of the occasion kind of weighing on your shoulders um and i guess that's exactly like um where watch you know i guess they call it like overstimulation um and like yeah looking like if i was like um you know like if i was someone like emmy who's in the position with jenna or something like having that experience and being able to like uh have someone who could like notice that um would be super beneficial like if or even like um yeah just in a a team environment but like we'd never really had that so and you learn from that um massively but um (laughs) (laughs) that was going to be my next question because you you didn't just crash in the second corner then you then rode the top tube off do you come into a drop sitting down and kind of ride the top tube for a bit there's there's (laughs) like a real there's a real famous crash on youtube called long gully dh and um so if anyone hasn't seen that go and look it up and that's essentially what i did (laughs) (laughs) in fort william yeah so make sure yeah if you haven't seen long gully dh go on youtube it now how did that kind of weekend affect you? Was it like a realization that you could actually, you know, when you when you gone away from it afterwards, was it like a realization that you could actually mix it with the big boys, or were you gutted that you, you know, you didn't pull it off? No, I, I wasn't gutted because I was. I mean, like obviously, <laughs> slight, slightly embarrassed because everyone had such a good time laughing <laughs> at my expense. But um, no, I was just stoked to, um, you know, be in that position and like if my career had ended then it would have been like a, you know, a cool thing to be a part of and say that you did. Cause like I'd grown up like idolizing all those guys yeah. that, um, and never in my wildest dreams thought that I would be like dropping in round there or, you know, even, um, racing up until that point. So I definitely wasn't like dejected at all. A little bit gutted. Like I think, um, anyone would be, but also like, soaking up the the moment 
<laughs> you probably agree with me, but whenever I had a good quality in my early years, because I only started racing downhill when I was in my 20s, like I'd never feel like my best was enough on race day. Yeah. Whenever I'd qualify anywhere near top 10, top 15, I'd drop into that race run and I'd just feel like I need to do something way above mm. what I should do. And like you said before, if I'd just done yeah. what I'd done in quality, it would have been around about the same. And I didn't have anybody there to guide me through that. And then later on in my career, when I've had a few good qualities, I've been like, well, it is what it is. Like, mm. I can't click my fingers and be Gwynny. Like, I've just got to ride down the fucking hill. And surprise, surprise, it usually then is quite similar to... Mm. But as you said, it's so hard to stand there with those guys you've idolized for 10, 15 years and be like, fuck, he's dropping in. He's gone and I'm still fucking here. Like, yeah. So 20th the following weekend in Leo Gang, 13th in Montsen and later in the season. How were Bergamont feeling at this point with you getting all these great results for him? Uh, I'm sure they were stoked, but like Bergamont was a, you know, like a pretty big company, but quite small on the mountain bike side of things. Okay. But we had like some really cool core guys who were like super into the, you know, and they were the, they were the ones designing the bikes and stuff. So that year, 2016, we had a new bike, which was awesome. Kind of similar to like what the Nuke Proof is now. Same kind of um, linkage and worked the same and it just worked amazingly, like super happy on it. And that was cool. So like they were putting in, they saw like that the team was going quite well. So they were like keen to build a bike that wasn't just like kind of a catalog one. Um, But it was around then that there was kind of whispers of Bergamon getting sold and stuff. So there was also a bit of uncertainty. Obviously, like we'd had our budget kicked up quite a lot, but like things were still pretty like tight. You know, the team wasn't like making any money. I was kind of spending my wage that was put aside in running the team, but also like I wasn't working. So you're not making any money, but you're not, it's not costing you to live and do all this cool stuff. But then you start getting these results and you're like, oh, like maybe I'd be kind of like keen to like (laughs) finish the season with some money or like, (laughs) you know, not like borrow off mum and dad and then pay it back. And, you know, like, um, but like, I'm sure they were stoked because like, as we, we always had like good, like I was lucky enough to like, Get, always have great teammates and with those good teammates Jack Moyle like Rupert Chapman um Reese Wilson like came good results as well yeah. so um you know if I wasn't doing well then one of those guys were doing well and we we're all kind of like sharing the momentum which was pretty sweet and I think that that like definitely put a lot of eyeballs on like the Bergamont brand so like I'm sure they were pretty stoked but I would only deal with a few people um, and they were like core diehard into it, um, which was really cool. And like they would go to the end of the earth to make sure like we had stuff that we needed when we needed it, um, which made my job a lot easier. Um, having someone who was kind of like doing the um, inventory and stuff like that, because it's pretty hard doing those kind of jobs from New Zealand flying mm. over like two weeks before the race starts and then realizing you don't have all the stuff that you needed so it's definitely it was a team effort so uh but then some that kind of leads me into the next but some of those guys like started to leave and then there were whispers so like definitely started to change towards the end of 2016 and that kind of like planted i was kind of getting a little bit burnt out 
because I'm kind of like a numbers guy. I was always really good at maths at school and stuff. And um, I would spend the weekends like crunching numbers on when our payments are coming in on how we're going to like make it work till the next one comes in and stuff. And it was like, it was all fun and games to begin with, but then it was like, it kind of started like consuming me yeah. where that's all I thought of, thought about. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like sick of just surviving. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'd be lying if I said it like didn't start to like, kind of like take a little bit of the fun away. Cause I was actually like now I didn't even know what stress was, but I was kind of like starting to get stressed. <laughs> <laughs> like whatever my idea of stress is, but it was like, yeah, it just wasn't, it wasn't like the fun. Yeah. Yeah. It was starting to get, there were too many people involved that like needed to be paid and stuff. And then when you're dealing with other people, it's like you just start, you feel the weight of the pressure of like making it all work because it's like your thing. Um, yeah. So I, I definitely like, while the results and stuff were going really well in 2016, um, I think we had one more year on our contract and I was already starting to think of like, hmm, maybe I'll do try and find something different. Yeah, okay. Mm. So into 2017 then, third at the first DWS behind Brother Wynn and current teammate Matt Walker. We've heard Wynn's account of that race. G- give us yours. Um, man, <laughs> <laughs> I, had this, I had this little 140 mil bike and it was like a full mudder um, and I'd blown the shock up and it was like full rebound, but sometimes in the mud, like it just works <laughs> so i rode practice and i didn't have anyone to give me a shot and someone's like no oh, you're not going to ride like that and i was like it actually felt mint <laughs> <laughs> just full pogo stick um and then yeah so i was riding around with uh rat boy and craig evans and we were just having a laugh it was probably one of the hardest physical most physical ews i've ever done i think it was 2300 meters climbing oh. in the mud um so like the racing's once the part, but then doing the liaisons in the mud really takes it out of you. Um, so it was a big day. And then I remember like four stages in, I was leading the race and whispers started coming back to us that I was leading the race. So I was like, oh, this is sick. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I had a, um, I had a, a little washout on like stage five, mm-hmm. I think. And I twisted my bars and it ripped the dropper cable and like got it pulled and jammed. So this dropper post went up. So I had to race the whole stage with the dropper post jammed up. And it, was, and it was just like Tyson Fury just like pounding me in because it was kind of it was kind of like steep. So I like had to be behind the seat to make it work. So I'm just kind of like taking hits in the abs from this this seat. And I finished the stage, managed to get down. Thought I'd thrown it away. Mm. Had one more stage to go, and then. In the practice for the final stage, the stage was going to go over this bridge, but like in practice, it didn't. It went, it was just like, it was like a five meter stretch, but it was like a left gravel turn over a like kind of a rainbow shaped bridge and then a right gravel turn. Like you could never mess it up, but like we didn't actually practice it. And then, um, so on the final stage, I came in and I was like going for it. And I just ended because I hadn't practiced onto this bridge. I, I, I didn't realize how tight the, and I hadn't even really looked at it. Um, Cause for some reason they just like, we just rolled out and I'd missed this as it turned out crucial piece of trail. <laughs> 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 I 
Yeah, no, so like on the last stage, I washed out within five metres of the finish line because I didn't realise how tight the turn was <laughs> um, and then had to run it across the line and lost the race by four seconds. <laughs> but it was, I mean, everyone that day had serious um, ups and downs and yeah. uh, we were just stoked to do a Kiwi one, two, three. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. It was good. <laughs> I remember this one was like Cam's first like international AWS and she was leading the whole day and then she like couldn't like couldn't pedal. The last stage was quite pedally, I believe, and then she got fourth in the end. Yeah, I remember her getting fourth. Yeah, yeah. But it was like it was crazy. There's no more water like for people to drink because people were washing the bikes with the water <laughs> yeah, to was... drink. Like it was insane. I remember I got cramp. And it was like an electric shock into both my legs that I like jumped off the bike and I just was like, I couldn't move. And Craig Evans was breaking up little bits of uh, muesli bar and like <laughs> feeding it into my mouth and then like giving me drops of water. And, I, and, the, and he's like massaging my legs and he's like, come on, bro, you got to get going, man. <laughs> and I, I, I've never had cramp like that. Like I couldn't move. I couldn't get, I couldn't get up. And we were hundred meters from the, drink like where the water was and I just couldn't get there <laughs> and then I just started like getting a little bit of food and like some, someone had some salt and stuff and I could just manage to get back on the bike <laughs> but it was like I thought we were going to have to call like the medical like meal to come and get me because I, I, I couldn't move my legs <laughs> oh, so 2018 uh, you parted ways from Bergamont and moved to Pivot and it's I mean it's been fantastic for both you and them since that move tell us a bit about how that came about yeah it, was, it came about well because Bernie was doing Pivot and I was doing Bergamont so and he was like living in Queenstown by that point and he'd been super helpful when we were privateering as well so like I'd had a lot to do with him from the get-go um, and he basically just said you know our teams were kind of growing at the same rate and then but we I was you know getting a little bit off it and he was just like well like if you if you want you could come and ride for us the offers there we can kind of sell them on you being an enduro rider um but obviously you'll just come and race downhill and maybe do the odd EWS we'll just <laughs> that's how that, that's how we'll get the that's how we'll get the deal over the line and I was like yes yeah, sweet so it definitely made that transition away from like running the setup to like going into being a just a rider way easier like already having like a good offer ready to go like it wasn't like I was like quitting a good deal at Bergamon and then going looking for something that didn't already exist it was just like from one to the other which um made it super easy and had great teammates (laughs) 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 yeah so yeah was Rupert on the team with you at the same time or was it there before I can't remember. He was there for one year before me. Yeah, so Elliot part like left on sixteen, and then he came on seventeen, and then eighteen. You came yeah. along. Yeah. Um. And then me and Rupert had been teammates on Bergamont, mm-hmm. and then Ru- and then Bernie stole him. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, we just kind of like merged back because Tom Lois, who was Rupert's old mechanic was still working for me and Kurt, my mechanic. So we just like basically merged the two teams. Um, the staff and me came, which was sweet. So not much change. We just, um, 
yeah, moved on to a bit racier bikes, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it showed because as soon as you moved to Pivot, you you won your first race in national champs, New Zealand mm. national champs. So how, man, how much does uh, a title, like a national title, mean to you? I was real stoked because, um, you know, it's kind of one of those things because we all grew up racing the national series and stuff. So um, you always want to, like, win a couple of national rounds and then and then like once they bought in the sleeve it just definitely like has a bit of prestige because it looks quite cool i reckon the national mm. champion sleeve doesn't matter what country you're from um mm. so definitely um i was pretty stoked for that being my first outing on the new bike and new team and stuff and then yeah it just and i got my first bonus that was like <laughs> did, you know, you, like, did we get the sleeve in time for your next race because that, that's always a problem <laughs> um i wouldn't call it a sleeve <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, think it was, I, I was half half the arm or something no oh uh, it was no they'd, they'd gone into london and got someone to like screen print a um new zealand sleeve onto like some fabric and then sewed it on it was like it was like cardboard i, I still got that. it I, yeah it was it was like if, if you were tuned up on what flags look like i would not have passed it as a commissaire <laughs> <laughs> um but we yeah yeah we got it done it's definitely something that can, people can so easily forget is that you have to have the sleeve no, Bernard is not going to pay the fee for it. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, yeah, so after that, you won also the Trans Enduro. Um, and I presume there was like blind racing, right? Or not really? Not too blind because um, pretty close to home trails. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. like the, like the, I mean, the way blind races work, I feel like this is something that. Y- you like as a as an enduro racer is that like you wish more enduro races were in that format um i don't to be honest like the um trans races are the only blind ones i've done um yeah Mm -hmm. so i would i would like to see it or try it more but also it's like kind of a terrifying concept because of how hard and fast you can race at enduro now that like it would be pretty sketchy (laughs) <laughs> yeah the bikes are very good like better than yeah. them and so i think if they like had some kind of um marking system where like you know like triple arrow meant like blind drop or something then like you could race blind like a bit safer but like yeah a full blind run in a race situation at like world level would be pretty scary i reckon because like you're still gonna commit to like really going hell for leather yeah, at least you will because <laughs> it's always it's always very scary when you do like I don't know like a photo shoot for example with Ed and we're like you know somewhere maybe don't really know the trails that well and then we're like oh shit Ed is coming watch this and then it's a photo shoot it's not even a video shoot so <laughs> you just need to look good on the bike and Ed you'll be like full gas and like half crashing and we'll be like oh my god yeah we, we always have big laugh for watching you do your thing on a bike for sure nice. <laughs> um so carry on with 2018 and there's um another memorable fort william experience for you because you were like rider number 20 
plate number oh, 20. Yeah. So you presume to be protected, but we all know like that it doesn't really mean that you are, depending nah. on who is in the production. So tell us a bit about that weekend. Oh man, I had a horrific Fort William crash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was it the one in the far section before the deer gap? Was it the one? Yeah, and I blew my hand oh. off. Um, oh yeah. At that stage, I was still clinging on to the whole I'm cool, I don't run gloves thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like, Kiwis and Aussies, blame Blinky. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I wasn't running gloves and um, we're at the top of the hill and it just started to spit, like not rain, spit, like, you know, actually kind of perfect conditions for Fort William. But I didn't have any gloves and um, the grips, I was running these ODI long necks, which were like my grip of choice for no gloves. And um, they get like super slippery with any moisture on them. And then, um, so I was coming down that super fast bit before the deer fence and I just like hit a hole and my right hand slipped off. (laughs) And then I, and then I just like, you know, like folded downward dog over the handlebars (laughs) and just my, I remember like flipping, I got biffed so far onto the, like, thankfully when you crash off the track at Fort Ullum, it's kind of soft. Yeah. But my bike got thrown like a good hundred meters down onto the next bit of track like past the next bit of track so it was like there was no way i could get it run back up like my run was done but yeah i did think i was protected but um as it transpired that i wasn't protected but um i think i was just happy to walk away from like such a huge crash because it was like there's some dude has a photo of it and it's like my hand my hands just like completely outstretched like I'm grabbing something off the ground <laughs> and when you know the section of trail it's not somewhere you want to crash <laughs> yeah, yeah I think you're quite lucky with the outcome of it all it, oh, yeah. despite not being qualified I remember seeing the sequence I was like wow That's, yeah yeah quite the solid crash already you are <laughs> yeah. I've, I've had my fair share <laughs> mm. Yeah, so with the move to pivot also on uh, AWS, so your results also like jump up level uh, 11, 7th and 3rd also in Latwil. So that was like your first podium. Mm. Everyone knows like Enduro is like kind of where the back sales are. Like obviously the Firebird is the, like the most like sold bike probably uh, like on the gravity side. So were you like kind of like, do you think that moving to pivot like played like a big role in like making you a better enduro rider or it was it like Mm -hmm. the fact the support of the factory ride or how do you see Um, that massively way i wouldn't even i would say like if you're comparing the pivot to my bergamon and it's like they weren't really you can't compare them and i'm not like bagging on the brand but like my pivot was like an enduro bike and my bergamon would have been down country (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) so um you know, like I was racing with 34 mil stanchions and stuff. It's like, um, you know, one, 140, 150 and a bike that's got like a 66 degree heat angle. Um, you know, just it's, it felt like you're kind of riding a square box, you know, flat top tube. Nothing wasn't designed for what we were really using it for. So then when I got on the pivot and I started out riding a Max 6, which is like a more trail bike version in the pivot range um and even that was like man it was so good it was just like what have i been doing (laughs) (laughs) and then 
then they released the I got to ride the new Firebird um, for like a day for a photo shoot and to pick which size I wanted to ride. And I was just like, man, when I get this bike, it's like kind of a cheat code, you know, it's like gets it's the next level in performance in terms of like your equipment. And I, I still reckon like the old Firebird um, is like hand, hand like handles itself or like it's like even today, it's like that bike was mint um off the get-go so as soon as i got it i raced pets in, and that's where i got seventh but i i was running like second and third all day mm-hmm. and then i i had a small crash in the last stage and bent my rotor and um but i bent it so bad that i like couldn't use the brake and it was a thousand meter descent that stage <laughs> um so i lost i lost like a minute and went back to like seventh just to get down the hill <laughs> so um and that would have been my that was my first like weekend on that bike so i was straight on pace so i was pretty pretty stoked to like get that and uh yeah everyone i saw like the next year loads of privateers like right racing the, that bike because you could just tell that it like works so well yeah for sure so 2019, I remember that because we came straight from like another race. Like you won your first AWS. So it was in Les Ors, mm. and You beat Richie by under second. It was like down to the wire. Yeah. So tell us a bit about that battle. <laughs> it was funny. It was like we raced for 40 minutes, but really we could have just raced for it on a two minute stage. <laughs> yeah, that's, sure. that's, that's, what it, that's what it came down to. We were pretty much tied going into the last stage. Like talking tenths of a second so it was just like whoever wins that and then i remember going over the lift and bernie and barney were like the last and he's just like said in 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 some um much nicer words he's like yeah like go get it done (laughs) (laughs) and uh yeah i kind of just like i remember lining up for the stage and was just like i'm actually just gonna win the race <laughs> like i'd already decided it was kind of you hear of like people and like if you could i can i can understand how like the really great sportsmen why they're so great because like they can tap into this energy or whatever it is but like the few times that i've like experienced that you only you know there's no like other options you just so i was just like sweet dropping in i'm gonna win the race and then i just went and won the race <laughs> and, and like this yeah yeah it was, it was like bizarre talking about it or like how when you think about it but um that like self-belief and confidence there was no there was no like oh what if i was just like i, I just decided on the start line that i was, yeah and then and then then you go into like flow state or whatever but like i just like dropped in and then the next thing i crossed the line and it was sweet so it was like cool very cool to like experience stuff like that because like you know like for the the like top 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 sportsman it might happen a lot but like you know i've only i could only count on my on a few fingers the times that you like really do tap into that that kind of like flow state and like energy but it's like cool to like do it (laughs) i wish i just wish i could do it more (laughs) (laughs) yeah for sure how how good was it to finally win like nws after you've been close in the past like like you said in rotura and also being on the podium a couple of times and your whole team was there i remember yeah it was it was sick um yeah 
different. Oh, I was just like really stoked to, I don't know, just to like tick it off really. Um, especially my focus was like definitely hitting more enduro by that point. Um, so yeah, it was, it, no, it was really cool. I remember as well, you, you were like win the teams as well. So yeah. you guys were on, like you guys went on the podium in like Mizor's village and Walker and like had a couple of beers, I think maybe before going on a podium and, and the mayor of Lizot was on the podium too. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Matt was like, had a champagne bottle and he just yeah. like straight on sprayed the mayor with his champagne <laughs> and then stole tipped his hat. I don't know. Yeah. He tipped the ball on his head and like, he was doing all type of stuff. And I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> But I think the guys at Pippet found him pretty hilarious, to be honest. But yeah, yeah, it was just a pretty good day, like all in all. And I think we, I think we came from Andorra as well. And that yeah. podium in Andorra, I got fourth in Andorra, so it was like my first podium of the year, and then you won. So it was like a very good weekend for us, for sure. And a big, big drive. You guys bombed it through the night, and then turned up like halfway yeah. through the race. It was sick. Yeah. No black yeah. pearl for us. Luckily. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take a quick break there, but we'll be back with more from Eddie after these messages. Expert suspension tuning and customization used to be the preserve of the pros. Not anymore. Let the expert team at JTEC Suspension take care of your fork, shock, or drop a post to experience the feel of factory racing. With over 20 years' experience, JTEC Suspension are the OGs of buttery smooth suspension. Get the pro touch and get the best out of yourself and your bike. Visit j-techsuspension.co.uk and chat to the experts in race-ready suspension. If you're enjoying the Making Up the Numbers podcast, hit subscribe now so you don't miss an episode and drop us a review whenever it's convenient. For additional content, follow us on Instagram at Making Up the Numbers Racing. So I'd written the bulk of this podcast, and then this afternoon I shared a clip of Brooke McDonald crashing on Instagram, and we exchanged a few messages. And I told him you were on the pod tonight, and I asked him what I should ask you about. And here's what he said: <laughs> "You feeling nervous at all?" <laughs> no, I just. Sometimes I'm always curious to see whether uh, Brooke's questions are like uh, worthy of the airwaves. Or like, <laughs> <laughs> I've had to kind of, yeah, yeah. I've had to turn them down a bit. What do you think he might have said? Oh, who knows? It could be anything. I've, me, <laughs> and Brooke, me and Brooke have been through the trenches together. You should ask him about New Year's Eve in Wanaka. <laughs> <laughs> Something to do with an orange Bedford. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so we used to... Um, The New Zealand National Series used to be like a, um, it was basically a pilgrimage. It was like they would stagger it. So it was six races and one year it would start in the North Island and the next year it would start in the South Island. You'd race six weekends in a row, making your way to the North or vice versa. And when it started in the South Island, there's like a bit of a party town called Wanaka, um, which when you're 16, everyone goes to. So like every two years, you'd be stoked to like start the nationals down there. And we were down there and the Gorge Road, the like iconic Gorge Road jumps um, in Queenstown used to only be like a quarter of the size they are now. And the rest of it was for like cars to be dumped and stuff. So like we always used to go there and try and get a car running and then like 
demo derby around the car park and stuff. And um, there was this orange Bedford camper van there. <laughs> and uh, it seemed like too good to be true, but it was just unlocked. So then we, we, we got into it and we were like, we saw that it wasn't registered as a Bedford. It was registered as something else. So it, it was, seemed kind of sketchy. So we were like, fuck it. We'll just take it. So we, we like drove it over the um, crown range and we like had this free, had it for free accommodation for the whole of our trip over there. (laughs) (laughs) On New Year's night, I'd like kind of comb it out in the back of it. And um, Brooke, he hops in and does like a burnout and boosts off. But it's got these um, French style doors at the back that both open up. And like I jumped in and crawled into bed and um, hadn't shut them. So like when, (laughs) when Brooke, Drove off. I just rolled out the back, <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't. Even, he he didn't even know, and he just he just drove drove up up the road, and I'm just sitting on the middle of the road with my bedding, like scratching my head, like what's going, what's going on? Yeah, and then he came back like a few minutes later, and I'm like standing there with my duvet around me, like. <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty good. So I always get the serious part of this podcast, George. <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk about um, last season then, 2022. Um, so you're doing both disciplines, like doing some enduros and some downhills. Like, do you decide your strategy? Like, how does it work for you? Like, do you have a plan of what races you're gonna do, or you just do this start and then see how it pans out, depending on your results? Um, no, I think from the get go, like was always going to do full EWS. Um, it just doesn't make any sense to not do a whole series like anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and I think, um, yeah, like I feel super lucky, like to still be able to race downhill at like a good level. Um, but at one point, like in your offset, like nowadays you kind of need to pick which one you're going to like put your time and effort into. Because one of them's gonna like I just don't like I need to ride my enduro bike a lot, and I can't really do you know so like you you have to pick. Whereas I I think like 2018 and stuff I felt like I didn't really need to, but I think just the level in both is it, I mean the level in downhill now is crazy. Like like I don't get to do enough of the background stuff that you need to to like really confidently say you've you're like 100 prepared to race world cup downhill you know like i've i kind of like set up my bike at the start of the season and i just come to the races and race it as is bar twisting a few knobs but then when you look at the like f1 style that bruni and all the teams are doing and even like you look at the amount of riding that bernie's doing these days yeah it's a little bit tricky to like yeah, if you weren't if you weren't like focused on one, I think then both would probably go mediocre. Yeah. Do you think like it helps you though to like do because we've seen like Isabeau Kuduri as well and some of the enduro riders come and like Noga Kuram doing some of the rounds? Like do you think um and we've seen the other way around as well. Do you think it helps with like enduro racing? Yeah, I think uh, it def- yeah, it really does. Cause like enduro racing is just multi long form downhilling. It's like mm-hmm. you it's still racing bikes downhill. Um and downhill makes you so like, you know, it's 
getting those marginal gains and stuff and like, you know, eking out as much time as you can run after run to be able to execute the perfect run at the end of the weekend and just the speed you get accustomed to like racing at that speed and on on a bike that's like a bit safer so like when you go back to the enduro bike you might be riding five percent quicker than you would have if you just stayed on the enduro bike that's why i like mm-hmm. i guess people train on motocross bikes and stuff um mm-hmm. but yeah i just think like the level has gotten so much more technically higher that you can still like show up and do really well but like to be able to like battle for like season overalls and stuff um you need to be putting in a lot of runs um which is quite hard to do when when i feel like i need to be like training or doing long rides and stuff um Mm -hmm. on my enduro bike so it's like you're always kind of like taking some time off the other discipline and putting it into one um yeah and then in saying that, like if you start the season with a good result, like you can just get the ball rolling. Like confidence is like the number one thing, you know, and you you see it like time and time again that like someone like Ronan Dunn last year um, goes from not qualifying to World Cup podiums, top 20 regular. Um, and it's just like you just got to get, get that ball to move. So like when you can get that going in downhill, then it's like it's – it's the best thing ever because it's just like the the runs just start seeming easy. Do you think it's like kind of the same in enduro? Like because on the OWS result last year, like um, they're written here like eighth, fourth, third, fifth, seventh, fifth, twelfth, and twenty second. So it's like incredibly consistent. You think like it is also kind of like confidence is like also a key factor, or do you see anything else that like made you ride such consistent results? Uh. No, it's mainly just confidence. It's like you get to, then you like go to the races as like that's where you belong. You know, you don't, mm-hmm. I get when you get kind of used to it, you don't really have that like imposter syndrome kind of thing that like Jack was talking about and that like I've had in downhill so many times. Whereas now, like, I'm like, well, I never like to like set goals and stuff. Like, I am like kind of a little bit disappointed if you are outside the top 10 because like you're always in the top 10 and with that comes like a confidence that that's where you like belong and that's like that's just that's the group that you like the level that you're riding at um but like it definitely takes a long time to get there but like and that's why like you see like guys in world cup downhill and there's you know i always say there's only 10 top 10 guys and they're all pretty even the guys who aren't in the top five, but like they've had, you know, 10 upwards of 10 World Cup podiums. They, they, they turn up to the race and they're like, I'm a top 10 guy. Like, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. so you can't, it's like hard to shake that confidence that you get from consistently putting down good results. Yeah, for sure. And it takes the pressure off as well. Once you get a good result, you're like, okay, like mm. I can do it again. And I, I felt like me as well. I had the pressure of like doing a podium. And once I was doing a podium, another one would come because I had like a bit less pressure of doing well, so yeah. so to speak. And like, like let's say like someone who just like gets six heaps and then it becomes a, like mm-hmm. a talking point, you know, like they've got the weight of expectation from themselves. Cause they're like, Oh, if I'm six, like when am I going to get a podium? Like, you know, they start mm-hmm. putting a bit more pressure on themselves and then they've got the pressure of everyone else talking about it. So like, yeah, it can be like quite a lot to deal with. Um, but as soon as you like crack that code, you know, you, then you can, you might just be riding a lot easier just 
everything just comes a bit easier because you've like shaken that monkey off your back. Yeah. You mentioned the flow state before, and I know um, there's an article on the Pivot website about flow state. It was really interesting. Um, and you said like you could probably uh, count it on the every single like finger of your, of your hands, like how many times you actually found the flow state. Did you, did you find it last year? And what's like the key to achieving it? Um, yeah. See, this is the thing is like, I wish I knew. I definitely, <laughs> this I is George's you... question, but it's a pretty good one because if you knew how to answer that, you win a lot of races. Yeah. Um, for the first part, like last year, I think I, the fastest I was riding, I felt, was at Crans Montana, which was like one of my, like I only got 12th, but um, I was like, yeah, I reckon I was going so well, but then things just weren't going well, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I've, seen, like, I've seen the video. Yeah, but just like, you know, little, a crash that like would, you know, twist your bars and then you get trip up and just, um, so some of the runs that like that whole weekend, I thought that was the best I'd rode all season um, because I was just riding real easy. It's just, it just seems to seemed to be one of those races where things didn't go my way. It wasn't like I was crashing like huge or anything like that. I like, you know, lost a chain, damaged a derailleur, little things that like were kind of outside of my control. But I reckon that was like the best I was riding all weekend and I was getting a sometimes getting a couple runs where you like start and then finish. And that's what I describe as the flow state because you could block every external influence out. So like total focus means that you can't remember like what's happened. You just like completely focused in the moment. So that's why I like you start and then you finish and how you get there. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like there's definitely like, over the years you you try and you know i listen to music and stuff and i like try and distract myself away from like my own thoughts or the pressure of the situation and just like keep coming back to like what you're doing sometimes i just like to look around and be like you know just remind yourself you know like how lucky you know like how cool it is where we're racing you know like things that aren't you know i'm not worried about the line or stuff because when it's coming down to your run you know the lines like you don't need like you know like i obviously a lot of people do use visualization and stuff and i do too but i don't like to like do it over and over and over for 40 minutes because it's because i'm warming up so like just try and like chat to my mechanic or like you know be you know as cliche as it sounds like in the moment because you just want to be able to like and that's sometimes when like you're late to the start or something's gone wrong and it's, it's hijacked your train of thought those are like the easiest runs to do really well on because you just you're so flustered getting to the start gate five deep breaths goggles on go all you can think about is like what's coming up you know so you, you haven't had any time to like um you know get that whole tornado of thoughts going through your head and that's why yeah sometimes sometimes when it is going bad leading up to it it can be like the catalyst for like a real good run. Yes, really interesting. So you mentioned um, your crash in stage four of Cremontana, but obviously you were like probably like on a podium ride or close. But I feel like, you know, when I'm not at every Enduro race, but I get like some kind of feedback through the live timing or our team chat and stuff. And I feel like 
you're not the rider that's like it has a lot going on in your race sometimes like maybe a little mechanical a little crash there and up and down and suddenly eddie is like second and then the next next stage is like 30 years and you're like wow <laughs> um so it seems like you're very like determined you know even though like racing wise just crazy stuff is thrown at you you're still like hanging on and try to like be positive and i learned that from you as well like try to like switch and still be like focused on the next thing and mm. like how do you see yourself in that like aspect yeah i def- i definitely would say that's something that i like strive to do when um because like i was saying before i don't really like to set goals but like i just i'm re- i feel really disappointed in myself and like the effort that's gone into like Cause it's not just like me racing, you know, it's like, it, it's a whole team that, you know, it's an army that like mm-hmm. behind you, like getting it all to work. And um, if I don't like try my hardest, then I'm like, I've, and it's happened before where I've kind of given up and it's, that's like something that's like really hard to like live with. Cause I've, I feel like the one or two times that I've given up, I've really like let myself down and I've had to like, you know, deal with like, being super gutted about it so like even if you've crashed it's like i haven't crashed intentionally i've crashed because i'm like really trying but like i'm still gonna just like pick yourself up and like try and keep pushing all the way to the end because um because the few times that i have given up i've been super gutted about it after the race when all you had to do was just like keep feeding it no one's gonna be like pissed off but like you might you know like let's say if it's enduro like you might have a horrible week, but if you finished and won the last stage, like you, you stoked or like you at least finished and like, you didn't like leave any, yeah. Like you don't want to leave anything out on the track. Cause like, it's, I've just found like it for me, it sucks. You feel really, really guilty that you didn't try your hardest. So yeah, you just like move on as quick as you can to the next thing. Cause the game plan never changes. It's pretty simple. It's like bike from a point A to point B as quick as you can. and like walkers like the same like at um derby this year we were like pretty off it for the last stage like you look at each other and you're like fuck this like (laughs) Mm. um it was just a hard hard day out in the saddle but um you know we just like i was he was following me because they reseed us for your current rankings and we just fist bump each other and we just say like big mana to the finish line. And that means like big mana is like big heart. And um, it's kind of like a piss take, but like we're being serious. It's like yeah. one more stage to go. Like, let's just do it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, kind of just try and take that into all forms of <laughs> bike riding, I guess. So back to Andorra 2022, the sketchy stump gap. Um, something happened in your race run. Did you lose a tooth or something? Actually, just after it. Um, yeah, I was umming and ahhing about that stump gap because, um, I don't know, I was just just watching people. You never want, you sh- sometimes just don't watch, you know. Yeah. There wasn't anything really technical about it, but it just, there was people getting sketchy and it looked way harder than like actually it was. Mm-hmm. So then I jumped it twice in, on race day morning, both perfectly. And I was like, sweet, I'll just do the, I'm going to do it because now I've got like, at least I've got both options. I've done it. So, and it feels way faster. And then in the race, I just had a sketchy run 
um, the wheels were kind of falling off. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was not in the flow state. I was thinking about the mistakes, thinking about the mistakes I'd made um, 100 meters ago. <laughs> and um, so I just ended up going off that stump gap a bit quick and, um, yeah, got a bit buck wild. And um, I'd had my, I, I had like a retainer plate with a fake tooth on it because I'd, um, long story, but I'd, um, lost the like front couple of teeth top and bottom um over the years but like all relating to one thing and i'd slowly been getting them fixed um so i just had this one plate left and as i got sketchy my like tongue flipped flipped and it like went into my mouth but then because i was breathing it i like pop, it popped out and went into my chin piece <laughs> this is this is mid mid run um and i could kind of like see the, the tooth stuck in the helmet. Um, so I went across that bridge and dropped into the next section, still thinking like, do I stop and save the tooth or do I just keep, do I just keep rallying? And then as I dropped into that chute, it just flipped out and it's never to be seen again. <laughs> oh, yeah. And Brooke's girlfriend, Lucy, was like, oh, I could go have a look for it. And I was like, oh, Lucy, it's a pretty dusty track. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, sure. Yeah, that thing's long gone. Yeah, definitely. You ended the season fifth in the EWS overall and uh, Pivot took the team prize. Was that a, a big thing for Pivot? I think so, yeah. And I know they're real stoked and I know Bernie's really proud of it because he's put together a program and like, it's just cool because like, <laughs> we've got like Morgan and we kind of call her like our like our points cow, we just like milk her every race. And get some <laughs> so we always joke like that, yeah. Um, so we can always rely on Morgan because um, she's just super consistent, like always up there. And then, um, yeah, me and Matt just had like a really consistent year, pretty much chasing each other every every um, race. Um, and, you know, there's like, it's, it's hard to like put together a team thing because it's in this kind of game because it's so easy for someone to like tap out with injury or, you know, like for a team to just sometimes all the stars align and everyone has like a great weekend, but at the same time you can have a really bad weekend. So like over the course of a season, it's pretty cool to be able to like be there week in, week out and, um, and then clinch the overall like pretty comfortably. I know how hard it is to like, you know, just keep keep getting those points together. Um, but yeah, and it's just like we didn't have the best year the year before, but everyone kind of came out swinging, and yeah, good bikes, good vibes, and I don't know pays off. So yeah, it's cool. Recipe worked. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, last year you got yourself a top twenty at Fort William at the Downhill World Cup, and obviously fifth in the EWS overall. With ESO making the changes to how they're going to run things, and some some of the you know the events having the Endura World Cup and the Downhill World Cup on the same weekend. I mean, going off what you've said, you know, some of the things you've said earlier, are you going to just fully focus on Enduro this year, or are you planning on doing both in the game? Nah, I definitely. I'm not going to race the double headers in downhill. I just think. You know, like part of me said, part of me is like, oh, like you could, if you, if you had a good morning of practice and you got three runs at Leo Gang, you could probably 
you know, you could get up to track speed and quality on your fourth run, like yeah, like I know you could, but you also could like really end yourself trying to go race pace two runs earlier than you want to be, you know, and stuff like that. So that's kind of a risk that I'm like not willing to take is like trying to go that fast that early. Um, so like, yeah, I won't be racing at Leo Gang or Lunenville, but I'll be planning to do all the other World Cups, which is still quite a um, quite a few. And it's quite nice because like the end of the season is um, Snowshoe and Mont Saint Anne, which is after the EWS season is finished. So that's just like a little bit of like downhill holiday. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. So I still get to, I still, the plan is to hopefully race um, Lenza Hyde, Valde Sol, Andorra, Chattel. Um, so six World Cups and hopefully World world Champs. Oh, nice. So yeah, you'll get a bit of time. Are, are you disappointed about the, the way ESO have done it, where you're going to miss some down in the World Cups or does it not really bother you? I'm not disappointed, but I just think that I just don't really want to see um, you sacrificing like the quality of an enduro race just to fit it in with a triple header, you know, like, cause with like, I can't really see where they're going to race the AWS and Leo gang. Cause like, I know like that it's super hard for them to build consented trails. Like if they can't move the downhill track five meters to the right, like how can we, <laughs> you know, how can you put six stages that are fresh? So It'll be interesting to see how it all pans out, but the rest, all the, I mean, like, yeah, it's, it doesn't really affect many people. And like, I'm not too phased on whether I miss it. It's not, I don't feel like I'm missing out. It's just like, that's just the way the calendar works. So we've already had a couple of Enduro World Cups in Australia. You were eighth in Medina and 10th in Blue Derby. Happy with your start? Yeah, I was pretty happy. I was like, um, obviously went in there for, you know, I'm always happy just to be in the top 10. Um, so tick those two boxes. Felt like I was like, I wasn't quite firing on all cylinders. Just wasn't like feeling it, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so take with that in mind, I was pretty stoked because um, I just didn't feel like I was having a great weekend, but I was still like getting, in the mix. I was still in, yeah, I was still in the mix, which is like a, so I, you know, cracked a beer after derby and I was like, man, that was good. Like I didn't feel great, but like still got solid two weeks on the board. So I was happy. You've been racing for a long time. You've, you've done incredibly well. And I'm guessing that if someone had sat, sat you down after that 2012 season and told you everything you'd achieve, you'd, you'd probably be, be very happy with it. What's left for you? What, what are the, what are your hopes and dreams for the future? Um, good question, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i still people always ask they're like oh like when you you know like when might you retire or what's next and stuff but like i'm still really sometimes i enjoy racing more than i enjoy riding which i think is like a pretty healthy way to be because i just can't go to that like that last five percent unless it's like on the racetrack yeah and we get to race these tracks that would never like form in such a way outside of like the highest level and I like really still really really enjoy that so I think that means the future's like bright because <laughs> I'm yeah. still ha- still having a great time like rallying down the hill and yeah it's like I'm sure because like Emily's 
recently off the bat of like you know moving into the next stage and like it's cool that like now we have some younger guys on our team Mm -hmm. so can kind of get involved not so much with like coaching and stuff but just like helping those two world cups that i'll be at but i won't be racing like where how can i help yeah not not mentor but just like how can you how can i like use my experience to make their experience easier um so it's really cool that now we have you know the next wave of pivot athletes coming through while we're still there because like (laughs) <laughs> this whole podcast has been about mistakes and little things that you've made along the way. But like, <laughs> you know, if you can like, if you can help someone minimize, but also like still learn, um, yeah. that's something that I, I find really rewarding. So yeah, just yeah. continue um, trying to go fast, but also with, you know, some thought about how could we make other people go fast too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I imagine you'd be great at that because you know because of everything you've been through and you've got a a, a good way of you tell a good story you, you know you're good at expressing you expressing yourself yeah and we've got like a we've got a cool crew of young talent coming through now because you know if i'm never going to win a world cup <laughs> i'd really like to see someone that you've like you know hung out with do it yeah because be you know you'd be so proud and they'd be like you know that you could be play a pivotal role in someone else's success um, or like getting them to that level. So hopefully, yeah, hopefully we can farm some um, fast groms out of the uh, pivot camp. (laughs) Cool. Well, I think this is going to be the last show we get to do before the World Cup starts. Uh, I thought we'd end it with a few predictions very quickly. Just one name off each of you. Men's overall winner, 2023. Oh, Jack looks like he's he's got someone. I just I want to say Laurie. He's had a really good start to the year. I'd love to see him do it. Um, yeah. yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Laurie. That's a good choice, Eddie. Man, it's cool. It's cool that it's this hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, like I'm just I'll go I'll go to Prella and the Deprella from 2021. Yeah, might come back. Yeah, you didn't fuck with that guy. Emmy? <laughs> hmm. Um, don't know, maybe Finals. He was very quiet yeah, lately. Good shout. Good yeah. shout. Ooh, I like it. He's doing nothing pre-season either. Like, well, nothing, mm. we've seen, nothing we've seen. Obviously, I'm sure he's been busy. But yeah, yeah. It's been, like, he's very quiet, so I don't know. Something's up. <laughs> Women's overall winner. I got to be real careful here after the night. There's <laughs> <laughs> half of this podcast actually. It was the other night, but it's part one of this podcast. I gotta be real fucking careful here. First <laughs> letter that come out of my, my mouth better not be an N. Should we should we all just say Cammy? Should we all just say Cammy? Yeah. Eddie, go first, please. <laughs> um Yeah, well I'm I'm going Cammy. <laughs> no, but like to be uh, nah, real honest. Nah, like, nah, I'll 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 justify my decision with um that Cammy's just a, she's just a killer. She, um, yeah, she like puts in, yeah, she looks at every bit of it. Mm. Yeah. Jack? Cammy. <laughs> <laughs> Do we need to ask Cammy? Too scared you to think about nah. it. No, but like, I'd say like, there is big competition and, uh, but 
I think Miriam is not in a very good place now, like where her concussion seems still and everything. And it's not even quite sure she's going to be at the first round. So, or like in top shape, you know, so that's a little bit like sad and annoying. And so I think Miriam consistency wise with the new format will be her like, because Nina and Valia are so fast, but they're not as consistent. Yeah. So if mm. one of them finds consistency, like it would be hard for Kami to back it up. But consistency-wise, I think Miriam is better. But as she's not very fit, I'll say Cam. Good explanation. And last one, surprise package of 2023. Who do you think, like we had Ronan, like you said before last year, who do you think is going to come through? And I think obviously there'll be a few at different levels, but certainly in the men's, the one in my mind, looking at preseason results, is Charlie Hatton. I think he's going to have a big mm. year. Good child. Yeah. I think he's yeah. going to have a big year. I'd love to see him win one, or at least one. Eddie? Um, I could see Phil Atwell finding his Phil Atwell consistency again. He's one of the um, most talented bike handlers. Um, he, won, he won the IXS the other day, didn't he? Yeah, he won the IXS, and he's like he's got a good program with like his bike. It's really, you know, um, and... Yeah, you know, he's had World Cup podiums. Just get if he can get that ball rolling, I could see him being a regular top twenty dude again. Yeah. Emmy? Not sure really. <laughs> <laughs> um I don't know, like I'll say like we me and Cam, obviously I'm always more thinking about the women's because that's like they were my competitors and I watched them closely because of Jenna. And we we're making a list of like the women that are like because of like top 10 and top 15 and we were like wow there's so many there's like 20 plus and there's only 10 spots for finals yeah so my supers package which is not really a surprise package because she's been there all along but she hasn't been there in a while is Tani Seagrave okay so I think she's hopefully finding a way back and she's an amazing rider so yeah. hopefully she can Come back and oh, Rachel Atherton. Yeah, yeah, there you yeah. go. Even yeah. another one. <laughs> so between the two, we'll have a, a, another um, Brit that's going to be up there battling. Hopefully, that'll be that'll be fun to watch. Cool. Well, one last question before we go, Ed. You've been on the same team for a good few years now. What's your favorite Emily Siegenthaler story? Oh, did <laughs> <laughs> I get a beer? <laughs> there's no no there's there's no stories nah but she's really she is very fun to have around on the team we call her security because she marches around like she's carrying kayaks <laughs> <laughs> depending who's around it's needed yeah no, it's just definitely needed but yeah nah it's um Emily's been an awesome teammate and has transitioned into being an awesome member of staff and uh, I think our team is. She's definitely kept the um, the car on the rails, <laughs> you know, kept her heading <laughs> in the right direction sometimes because, um, you know, we can all get pretty boyish. And uh, yeah, we definitely needed a um, firm, strong female to <laughs> to keep us in check sometimes. Um, yeah. Cool. Cool. Well. Thanks, Eddie. <laughs> tell us the stories when we're off there. <laughs> <laughs> no story to tell. <laughs> <laughs>
Good stuff. Well, thanks for making the time to come on the pod. It's been as fun as I knew it would be and best of luck for the rest of the season. Thanks, mate. Cheers for having me. Pleasure. That's it for another episode. Thanks to the sponsors of the show, Hope Technology, JTEC Suspension, Revolution Bike Park, Ride Southern Spain, Schwalb and SingletrackWorld.com. As always, if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you've got a second, please drop us a review. Alternatively, give us a follow on Instagram at Making Up The Numbers Racing or Facebook.com slash Making Up The Numbers. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in a few weeks, probably after Leo Gang. This has been the Mammoth Production for Making Up the Numbers. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details.